Lord God, we do just uh, praise you again for your tremendous grace and mercy and love uh, poured out in uh, loving us so much. You sent your son Jesus to die for our sins. And thank you that he loved us so much he willingly came and paid the penalty for our sins. Thank you that uh, we can now from redeemed hearts praise you and worship you and honor you. And I pray that we would do that as we listen to your word. That we would be responsive. That we would allow your word to do its work in us. To uh, expose sin in our lives. To then make us right again. To teach us and to train us in righteousness that we, your people, would be uh, adequate, fully equipped for every good work that you have laid for us and prepared for us. So Lord, I ask you to bless your words that goes out. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's interesting. I heard a statistic uh, that probably about 10 years ago that 78% of uh, those who are living in the United States would claim to be uh, born-again Christians. Now, sadly, uh, that number has gone down to lately, which is about 65% claim to be born-again Christians. But that's still a big number of people, right? 65% of our country claims to follow Jesus Christ. That's a pretty big number. Now, with that in mind, it seems kind of odd because it doesn't seem like to me, and I, don't, I can't see the heart, doesn't seem like to me that 65% of the country is following Jesus. It sure doesn't seem that way. As we heard read earlier, the Lord Jesus would say, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? In 1 John chapter 2, the apostle John shares this. He says, and by this we know that we have come to know him, that if we keep his commandments, or commands, literally, the one who says, I have come to know him, that's that 65%, right? And does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know we are in him. And we're going to see primarily his commands, as we saw uh, a few weeks ago, we saw that is to love him by obeying his word, by loving his people and doing what he says. So then somehow in the United States, we have a lot of people who have come to believe that they believe. And yet they don't seem to, by their actions, reveal a genuine faith in Christ. Now I'm not talking about uh, tripping up, failing, we do that. Um, but God is good. If you're a genuine believer, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna spank you. You're going to come back around. But uh, talking about those who, who claim to be on their way to heaven but live lives that uh, are on their way to hell. Now, the modern seeker-sensitive uh, evangelical church has not helped the matter in any way, by the way. Uh, unfortunately, charlatans posing as pastors do not confront sin They allow it to run rampant in their churches. They share a gospel of felt needs to their converts, and they convert them. They convert them in the flesh, not by the Spirit of God changing their hearts, leaving them to think they have come to faith in Jesus Christ and they are following Him, but yet they are following their own desires. Which, by the way, week after week, they pander to those desires, Sunday after Sunday, through music and drama and movie trailers and spiritual pep talks, whatever it might be. And by the way, we've seen this uh, pandering to the flesh in Reformed-type churches, pandering to the intellect on the opposite side, rather than a genuine reliance on Jesus Christ, a personal relationship with Him. So with that in mind, maybe there's some of you here today, I don't know, God knows, who think you're Christians, you think you're following Jesus, and yet your life betrays that confession. You are self-deceived. I pray that the Lord would break through to your heart today because he loves you. And then maybe there are some of us here today who are Christians who have areas in our lives that God wants to shine a light on to address so that we would not function in a way that would be dishonoring to him. 
So with that in mind, let's turn in our Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 33. We're going to be looking at verses 21 to 33, and I'm going to really ask the question, or so you think you're following Jesus? Now with that in mind, we're still in our break between books, and I'm very close to going to the default choice, which is Second Thessalonians. So uh, I'm just... Uh, and the Lord does that. Whenever I really don't have a piece about the next book to teach, usually he wants me to teach a few passages in between, and I found that has been beneficial for my heart and hopefully for yours also. So Ezekiel chapter 33, and we went through the book of Ezekiel back in 2006. So I don't know if anyone here is back there besides my family, maybe one or two families. But you might remember or you might not remember, but I'm going to review the context for the book of Ezekiel. Now, with that in mind, as we probably know, in Deuteronomy 28, Moses, around 1405 B.C., is on the plains of Moab. Israel is about to enter the land. And he makes it clear to the children of Israel, inspired by the Spirit, that if they disobeyed the covenant they had made with the Lord, they would be severely disciplined and expelled from the land. And does Deuteronomy 28 really in detail explains that the horror that would come upon them for rejecting their God uh, in the land and how they would be expelled. And unfortunately, the scripture reveals that Israel continued to disobey God when they got in the land over and over and over again, year after year, although God was gracious and reached out to them. They were stubborn. Now, after the kingdoms were divided, northern and southern, because of Solomon's sin, we see over time that even the prophets had continued to warn of impending judgment and sin. In 722 B.C., in accordance with God's discipline, the northern kingdom was taken into captivity by the Assyrians. You can see that in 2 Kings chapter 17. And the same was looming for the southern kingdom, Judah. Now, concerning that kingdom... Scripture reveals that they continued to disobey God over and over and over again, even though the prophets continued to warn of that impending judgment. You'll see that throughout Scripture. There were prophets to the northern kingdom. They kept warning and warning, and they got exiled. Prophets to the southern kingdom, and they kept warning Jerusalem and Judah, and they then uh, were exiled, as we see. And indeed, ultimately, that impending judgment would come through the nation or by the hand of God through Babylon. Now, in 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, the rising superpower of the day, sieged Jerusalem, and he took the first set of captives, and this included Daniel and his friends. Then in 597 B.C., he sieged the city again, and he took more captives, that was, which included Ezekiel and 10,000 others. And then between 588 and 586 B.C., for 18 months, Nebuchadnezzar sieged Jerusalem again. And the siege ended in the total destruction of the temple. The walls were destroyed. Jerusalem was torn down. And the majority of Judah was slaughtered. Many were taken captive back to Babylon, but the majority was slaughtered, as God had predicted in his word for their disobedience. Now, the book of Ezekiel is centered around the third and final siege, that 18-month siege. The first 24 chapters span approximately eight years pre that third and final siege, where Ezekiel is prophesying to the exiles in Babylon that ultimately Jerusalem would fall, that God's judgment would come. Same thing Jeremiah was doing in Jerusalem at that time. And that there were consequences for sin that God must judge, although he takes no pleasure in that. That the soul that sins will die. And yet he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather they would repent and live. And from the grand vision of Christ in the beginning of the book, on the throne, directing his judgment and declaring it through his commission to Ezekiel the watchman, to the weird sermons that he brought forth that God used to illustrate what he would do with Jerusalem, to the blunt and clear commands to repent, God graciously did not desire their judgment. He warned them over and over and over again, but yet they would not repent. And then in chapters 24 to 32, we have prophecies during that last third 18-month siege. 
And these prophecies were against the nations that had been a thorn in Israel's flesh. The nations that they were to drive out, but they disobeyed. The nations that mocked and continually went after Israel, continually their enemies. There were prophecies against those nations that God would judge them, that there are consequences for sin. We even see also there was judgment prophesied against Egypt in that portion, which had been a thorn in Israel's side. Israel would look to trust in them rather than in God. And then in chapter 33, we begin the latter section of the book of Ezekiel, in which God begins to restore Israel, as we'll say. And indeed here we have, as we'll see, and I'll, I'll, I'll share it a little later, we have Ezekiel's recommissioning as a watchman. And he is to warn, speaking God's words to those, who, to those in whom God chooses, not Ezekiel chooses. And he was to warn of coming judgment for sin. And if they did not repent, the people would die in their sins. But if Ezekiel didn't warn them, he would be held responsible for them, their sin also. Serious charge. Serious charge. So then, Ezekiel was clearly to warn those who recognized, who thought and understood that God had a right to judge, but still would not repent. As we're going to see, Ezekiel was warning people who would claim the name of Christ. They would claim the name of Christ. They would hold on to his promises, and yet they would not obey. And so God's judgment was on its way. And so we come to chapter 33, a point in which the exiles in Babylon receive the news that Jerusalem has fallen. Everything that Ezekiel had been prophesying to these exiles has now happened. Has now happened. So with that in mind, turn your Bibles, Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel 33. And notice we're going to see in this passage, first of all, the preparation of the watchman, Ezekiel. Notice in verse 21. Now it came about in the twelfth year of our exile, in the fifth to the tenth month, that the refugees from Jerusalem came to me, this is Ezekiel speaking, saying, the city has been taken. Now the, now the hand of the Lord had been upon me in the evening before the refugees came. And he opened my mouth at that time, and they came to me in the morning. So my mouth was opened, and I was no longer speechless. Now, as I walk through this, we'll need to be reminded of some context. So it comes about in, the, in, the, in uh, 586 B, 585 B.C., the news of Jerusalem's fall has come. And it says there, they came, refugees came from Jerusalem saying, the city has been taken. It had been sieged, uh, people had been taken, sieged again, people taken. Then there was the 18-month siege, which is a brutal siege. You can read about what God said would happen, and also we see what happened. And at the end of that siege, Jerusalem was completely destroyed. The temple was destroyed, the walls torn down. And it says the city has been taken. And some of people escaped, and they have arrived in Babylon. Well, they escaped, they were taken. Arrived in Babylon, refugees. Now you might remember, if you were in, you've been in Ezekiel, back in Ezekiel 24, uh, he was told to write down the date. Look back in Ezekiel 24. Ezekiel 24, verses 1 and 2. And the word of the Lord came to me in the ninth year, in the tenth month, on the tenth of the month, saying, Son of man, Write the name of the day, this very day. The king of Babylon has laid siege to Jerusalem this very day. That was 18 months before. Write the day, this exact date. This exact date. Which was in 588 B.C., which was 23 months earlier from this date. Now the siege had lasted 18 months, and it had taken five months for those who had escaped to make it to Babylon. And so here, in some 12 years after Ezekiel had been taken in an earlier siege, uh, eight years from when he was commissioned, here on January 8th, 585 B.C., the news makes it that Jerusalem has fallen. Back in our passage, verse 21. Now it came about in the 12th year of our exile, 5th of the 10th month, the refugees came from Jerusalem, came to me saying, the city has been taken. All those years, 
Ezekiel had been sharing with the exiles in Babylon. God is going to bring his judgment. God is going to bring it if they don't repent. All those years with no response. All those years of Jeremiah with no converts. God was warning, 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 because he loves us. But yet he's also a holy God. But now we see it's clear that God does do what he says. And you see, his delay in not doing what he says is not something that we should take for granted. His delay in not doing what he says is because he's unwilling that any should perish. He's a gracious God. So he does what he says. And we see from the very first vision of Christ on the throne in the beginning of this uh, book, above the cherubim, acting in, perfect, act, acting in perfect harmony to accomplish his will, Christ coming from the north, symbolizing Babylon, who would bring about his, uh, dis, his uh, discipline upon Israel. The prophecies of God sharpening his own sword to slaughter people for their sin. It had come to pass because they would not repent. They would not repent. And so I believe in preparation for this truth, Ezekiel's new ministry now, a change in his ministry, uh, which they would be forced to acknowledge his prophecies had been true. Now, notice how the Lord had prepared him the night before. Verse 22. Now the hand of the Lord had been upon me in the evening before the refugees came. Now I'm not sure exactly what that means. But obviously God was making Ezekiel aware that something was going to happen. He was intensifying his hand upon him. And folks, we know this. If you're a believer, you know this when this happens. God, without revealing anything specifically, because he reveals things in his word, weighs something on our hearts or minds to pray about. And that of certain people or things, whatever it might be. And then later on, we recognize, wow, God was putting that on my heart. We recognize in hindsight what he was doing. And so here, the hand of the Lord, Yahweh, the great I am, the self-existent one, was heavy on Ezekiel in the morning, in the evening. And then notice, middle of 22. And he opened my mouth at the time they came to me in the morning, so my mouth was opened, I was no longer speechless. Now we need a little background for that. So after a difficult night for Ezekiel, uh, in the morning, at the time the refugees came, amazingly, his mouth is opened. So these are the survivors who escaped and made it to Babylon. And you might know that back in chapter 3, Ezekiel, by God, was made dumb. He was only able to speak to the exiles the things that God had said to him. That's amazing. A prophet who would only speak what God says. Isn't that great? Should be like preachers, right? Only speak what God says. Preach the word, right? And so Ezekiel had been made dumb, so he could not speak a word apart from exactly what God was speaking through him. Look back in chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 26. So for all this prophecy, all this time, Ezekiel was declaring, every word he was declaring was, was the word of God. Ezekiel three twenty-six. Moreover, I will make your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth so that you will be dumb. And cannot be a man who rebukes them, for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak to you, I will open your mouth, and you will say to them, Thus says the Lord who hears, thus says Lord God, He who hears, let him hear. He who refuses, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. And you might remember back in chapter 24, Ezekiel's wife was taken from him in judgment for her sin, and Ezekiel's mouth was was it was spoken that his it would be opened in the future as a sign ezekiel 24 uh, middle of verse verse 25 when i take uh from them their stronghold the joy of their pride the desire of their eyes and their hearts delight their sons and their daughters he's saying basically when god destroys their pride their temple takes their children on the day in which they escaped and comes to them, it comes to him, on that day he who escapes will come to you. This is what's happening in our passage. And come to you with information for your ear. On that day your mouth will be opened to him who escaped, and you will speak and be dumb no longer. Thus you, that shall be a sign, excuse me, thus you will be a sign to them, and they will know that I am the Lord. 
So then, that day has come. That day has come. Jerusalem has fallen. The exiles have come. Ezekiel's mouth is opened. And it is a sign to those who have escaped that they will know that he is the Lord. Now, that term, that they will know that I am the Lord, is in Ezekiel 63 times. That they will know I am the Lord. And we're going to see there's only two ways in which man comes to know he's really the Lord. One is through his grace and through repentance and faith in him. And the other one is through judgment. And it's your choice. And so that day has come. Ezekiel has gone for eight years only speaking what God says he can say. And now his mouth is open. A huge sign. And he says, I was no longer speechless. End of 22. Now this is a transition in the book. Ezekiel's ministry now changes from warning about the fall uh, to now warning scattered survivors and fellow exiles. The ministry changes. Notice the Lord calls upon the watchman, that's Ezekiel, and he is to address the self-deceived that are still in the land. There's some in the land that didn't escape, but it's fallen. Notice what he says here, verse 23, and I'm going to read up through 29. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, they who live in these waste places in the land, that's the land of Israel, are saying, Abraham was only one, yet he possessed the land so to us who are many, the land has been given as, a given as a possession. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord God, you eat meat with the blood in it, you lift up your eyes to idols, you shed blood. Should you then possess the land? You rely on your sword, you commit abominations. Each of you defiles his neighbor's wife. Should you then possess the land? Thus you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, as I live... Surely those who are in the waste places will fall by the sword, and whoever is in the open field I will give to the beasts to be devoured, and those who are in the, in the strongholds and caves will die of pestilence. And I shall make the land a desolation and a waste, and the pride of her power will cease, and the mountains of Israel will be desolate so that no one will pass through. Then they will know I am the Lord when I make the land a desolation and the waste because of all their abominations which they have committed. Well, there's nothing new under the sun. So many people claim to believe in Jesus, claim to have eternal life, but their lives are a living hell. Are they going to make it to heaven? Well, here with Ezekiel, God reveals uh, what Ezekiel is to say to these people, and he shares but first of all, he begins to explain the mindset of those in the land. So they had been uh, destroyed, and it's a desolate land, and there's a few remaining stragglers that didn't escape. And they're saying something which is crazy, by the way. They're saying, notice what he says, verse 23, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, they who live in these waste places in the land of Israel are saying, here's what they say, Abraham was only one, yet he possessed the land. So to us who are many, the land has been given as a possession. As we look at this statement, you're going to see how crazy this statement is, how self-deceived those who are saying this is. Amazingly twisted thought process reveals, reveals the depraved mind. They live in the waste places. God has poured out his judgment upon sin. He had warned them year after year, gave them so many warnings, so many opportunities to repent. Jerusalem has fallen. Most have been killed. There's a very small amount have escaped. And there are some that live in the waste places. They've seen my, God's mighty hand of judgment. They've experienced the consequences in very degree, varying degrees. And yet, listen to their mindset. Abraham was only one. Yet he possessed the land. So to us, who are many, the land has been given as a possession. This is really insane right now if you think about it. Because they're using Abraham as an illustration. He was only one man that God had promised the land and he possessed it. Well, we're many here. God has promised the land. We're going to possess it. Well, there's only one problem with that. God is disciplining them for their sin and he is ejecting them from the land as he promised in Deuteronomy 28. And they think uh, that they're going to receive the promises of God when they're living in sin. It's a really important point. They're self-deceived. 
they're self-deceived. They think they're believers. They think they're going to inherit the promises. They're seeing something totally different, but they're claiming the promises. Maybe you are claiming the promises of God that you have heard, but yet you are living like hell. So they think they're going to stay in the land. Well, what is God's answer to that? Verse 25. Therefore, say to them, Thus says the Lord God, that's Yahweh Elohim, it's the Lord God, the I Am. You eat meat with the blood in it, you lift up your eyes, your idols, you shed as you shed blood. Should, should you, do you then possess the land? Hmm. You rely on the sword, that's your power, your sword, you commit abominations. Each of you defiles his neighbor's wife, should you possess the land? Oh, really? You, 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 you do these things, you sin it up, and you think you're going to claim the promises of God? Hmm. So here, Ezekiel is to speak God's words as a faithful watchman. Now, you could translate this portion, you eat meat with the blood in it, you lift up your eyes to your idols, you shed blood, and the land shall inherit... So he's talking about uh, their flagrant disobedience to the covenant God had made with them. You see, uh, this idea of eating me of the blood, it's part of the ceremonial law of the Old Testament. Israel was to be set apart, to be different. And they were given different ceremonial laws to separate them. And also those laws pointed to the reality of a redeemer who would come and shed his blood for them. So he's saying, you do that, flagrant disobedience to the covenant I have with you. Okay. Then he says it's about their idolatry. You lift up your eyes to idols. You've got other gods, and you think you're going to inherit the promises? You, As you shed blood, you're disobedient idolaters with blood in your hands, and you think you're going to inherit the land? And then what's his answer? Should you possess the land? No way is the answer, Right? These refugees claimed biblical promises of inheriting the land, but yet they continued in disobedience to God's word. Maybe some of you are like this. I don't know. God knows. You continue in sin flagrantly, yet you claim that you have eternal life. I'm not talking about tripping up and and confessing and and walking rightly. I'm talking about continuing in sin with no uh, conviction over it. They trust in their swords. You rely on your swords. Verse 26, rather than the Lord, you commit abominable acts. They're idolaters and they're adulterers. Should you possess the land? No way. God just judged the land for their sin and you are remaining there in waste places. There's nothing left and you're claiming the promises of God. Abraham was one and he inherited the land. You're faithful to Abraham. We're many and so we're going to inherit the land. No way, God says. God has judged it for its sin and they don't get it. They don't get it. They're self-deceived. They're living like hell, living in a hellish waste place, yet they believe and stand on the promises of God for inheriting the land. Some of you believe you're going to inherit eternal life and you live like hell. You reject the truth of God. You reject the truth of God about forgiving one another, about loving one another, about kindness towards one another. You reject those truths and you live out an anger and a hatred every day. Are you going to inherit eternal life? Take a look at some passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. The Lord is gracious that we would not be self-deceived. How good a God is he? 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't you know that? If there's sin? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, that's sex uh, out of marriage, okay? Neither idolaters, adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. And then the wonderful statement here is, and such some of you were, Corinthians, they were that way. I'm not talking about you who came to faith. If you came to faith and you're in sin, you're going to hear it from the word of God, and you're going to go, oh man, okay, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. Because you've got a changed heart. But if you don't, maybe you're just like these who think they're saved when they're not. 
He says, and such some of you were, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. You were cleansed. What about Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians 5. Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians. Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. But do not let immorality or impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting, which is not fitting, rather the giving of thanks. For this, he's talking to believers, you know with certainty that no immoral, impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things... The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, don't be partakers. Don't live the way you used to live because God's wrath comes upon those who are still in their sins. You see, all of us are sinners. And yet, uh, and we are identified by our sin before we come to faith. Someone who worships idols, an adulterer. Someone who's a fornicator, adulterer, whatever it is, swindler, drunkard, whatever it is, identified by sin. And when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we receive his righteousness. We are cleansed. We are washed and we are no longer seen by that. And so why should we go back to those things that we have been cleansed from? We're not to. And if we do and we're not convicted and we continue in it, maybe something's wrong. Maybe something's wrong. One other passage. I read it. uh, I'll read it. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Little children... Let no one deceive you. Notice the, 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 the link between these passages, being deceived to think you're saved when you're not. Let no one deceive you. There's a bunch of churches out there. Come in the way you are. Live the way you want. God loves you no matter what. Yes, God loves you, but he loves you so much he sent his son to die for your sins so that you can be saved because he doesn't want to have to punish you for your sin. That's love. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. And the term practice means to continually do. We know we're not all the time, but by and large, we live differently. Let no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin continually, habitually. He says here, you know, practice. You, you know, if you ever been at a sport team, you go out and practice. You know, you play an instrument, you practice all the time. Practice, 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 practice. No one who is born of God, practice, 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 sin. There's something different in a believer. We fall, we mess up, but we turn and we confess. He says this, practice sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, it doesn't mean we're sinless, it means we, we, we are in Christ, we are freed from sin. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Hey, here's the key. Everyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. You don't love your brother. That's really what the, the in John is about, having a changed attitude towards those who are in Christ and having a different attitude towards the Lord. It doesn't mean we don't fail. And again, if you're a new believer, you're going to be going to be hit with these realities that these areas are sin. And, and if you've got the Spirit of God to be going, yeah, I agree. No, I don't want to do that. Oh, that you know, I don't want to do that. So then, if you come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, you will be different. And if you're not, and you're really saved, God has got a really wonderful paddle. He spanks us for our good that we would share in His holiness. If you're really his, it's an evidence you're really his, you're going to be disciplined, and he's going, to, he's going to discipline you so that you will see your sin and you will turn to him and share in his holiness. 1 John chapter 2, And by this we know we've come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I've come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar. You say, I've, I've come to know Jesus, but I'm uh, committing adultery with another woman. Do I really know the Lord? Can I, can I know the Lord if I have a heart that doesn't and is not convicted of sin, that is rebellious towards God, that won't acknowledge those things? 
back in our passage, they're totally in flagrant disobedience to what God says. And they're claiming that they are going to inherit the land. They're claiming that. But we know with this, with certainty, that no immoral or impure person who's covetous, who is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of God, Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Maybe some of you have believed that you could just add Jesus to your life, your way. You've got a Jesus, he's maybe partially correct from the word, but he's a Jesus that's your Jesus. He's your idol. He only says the things that you agree with, and you don't let him convict you with the things that he says are true, which you don't agree with. But when you truly repent, you truly trust in Jesus, he gives you his spirit, he changes your heart towards sin. Yes, we fail, but he changes your heart. And he forgives us when we fail. And he loves us. And he's kind. And we become righteous in Christ. And we will inherit those promises. But God doesn't want you to be self-deceived. So back in our passage, God says twice in light of their sin, should you possess the land? Should you receive the promise of God? That was the major promise for Israel, at least land and seed, right? Seed ultimately would be the Israelites. And then the seed who would come, who would, all the nations would be blessed. Do you believe you're going to inherit eternal life through a bogus faith in Jesus? You think that's really going to happen? Should you? God's answer is no way. No way. Instead, you're going to be judged. Look at verse 27. Thus you shall say to them, Now remember, these were not people who had never heard anything about the Lord. They had experienced God's judgment and his wooing for years to repent of their sin. They had experienced the, 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 the city being sieged. They had experienced the horror of what God prophesied. God was still patient, wanting them to repent. They'd made it all the way through that, and they were still unrepentant. So here's what God says. 27, thus you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, as I live Surely those who are in waste places will fall by the sword, who in open field I will give to the beast to be devoured. Those who are in the strongholds and the caves will die of pestilence. By the way, those things were predicted back in Deuteronomy 28. The sword, pestilence, you know, and, and, uh, and uh, the beasts. If, you, if they disobeyed, it was the consequence. They made a deal with God. Yes, we'll obey you. And here was God's deal. If you don't, here's the, here's the, here's the consequence. He says, I shall make the land of desolation and a waste, and the pride, here you go, the pride. The pride of her power will cease, and the mountains of Israel will be desolate so that no one will pass through. Then, then, they will know that I am the Lord when I make the land a desolation and a waste place because why of all the abominations which they have committed these are people who said they followed the lord that's why he's going to do it he's faithful to his word but he's very patient he had mentioned that hundreds and hundreds of years before they had it just like we have the word right here and they didn't listen they didn't listen to his warnings from the prophets year after year after year and now they're saying crazy stuff like Abraham was one, and we're many. We're going to inherit it. Crazy. The same craziness goes on in your mind if you believe you're going to inherit eternal life and you live like hell. Same craziness. But God's a good God. So he says there's going to be death by sword, beast, pestilence, which is disease, by the way. And not only when they die, the land would be made desolate. The land would be made desolate. Remember what uh, God said to Ezekiel earlier in uh, the same chapter again. We need to know this because it's really important. Ezekiel 33, 11. Look at verse 11. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God does not take pleasure in judging you or anyone for their sin. But rather that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? That's God's heart. What about Psalm 7? Turn to Psalm 7. 
David is desiring that the evil of the wicked would come to an end, but he also relays the heart of God who gives a chance for evil to be uh, forgiven. Psalm 9, excuse me, 7 verse 9. Psalm 7 verse 9. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteousness. For the righteous God tries the hearts and minds. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous God, judge, a God who has indignation every day. You wonder, how can evil happen in the world? How could God let that happen to these people? How could that happen? Well, here's why. He has indignation at evil every day, but he is patient. Instead of wiping out people, he is waiting for them to be saved. He says here, he has indignation every day. Verse 12, and this is important. If a man does not repent, he will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow and made it ready. He has also prepared for himself deadly weapons. He makes fiery arrows, arrows, fiery shafts. And speaking of the bad person, behold, he travails with wickedness and he conceives mischief, brings forth falsehood. He has dug a pit and hollowed it out and has fallen in the hole in which he has made. His mischief will return upon his own head. His violence will descend upon his own pate. The Lord desires repentance, and he's very patient. But he's a God of truth and justice, and he cannot stand sin. He's a holy God, and he sent his son to die for our sins. He doesn't want you to be self-deceived to your judgment, where you would be saying one day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name? Didn't I follow you? He says, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, this she shall also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh shall reap corruption, but the one who sows the Spirit shall reap eternal life. Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Ephesians 5, 6. Don't let hucksters posing as pastors lead you eternally astray with an easy believism that doesn't include conviction of sin and a turning to God from that sin. That's repentance. Jesus declared in Luke 24, 47, that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name. Turn to Luke chapter 13. Luke 13. And the more I read of his righteous judgment and his Holiness, the more I'm thankful for forgiveness and complete pardon. Complete pardon. Luke chapter 13. Now on the same occasion, there was some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Pilate had murdered some people and had mingled their blood with sacrifices. total abomination. And he answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than other Galileans because they suffered this fate? You want to know the answer? You wonder why somebody died this way and that way. You kind of think, Oh, they must be worse sinners than those guys, right? Now Jesus answers that. Do you suppose these Galileans were greater sinners than the other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no. But unless you repent you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 in whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. There is a satanic conspiracy among worldly-minded, deceived brothers and false teachers to leave out sin and repentance from the gospel. This is eternally deadly and from the pit of hell. Ezekiel's to be a faithful watchman, to warn them, to share the consequences of thinking such a way that you would believe you're going to gain an inheritance in the land, his promises, and then you can continue in your sin. And what's the result? Back in our passage, verse 29, then they will know that I am the Lord. When I make the land of desolation, and a waste because of their abominations which they have committed. It's their fault, not God's fault. God's a holy God. He warned. He is holy. It's not going to break His holiness. And He warns over and over and over and over and over again. And He gives the solution to our sinfulness, which is giving us His holiness as a gift through faith in Jesus.
He says, then they will know that I am the Lord. And I mentioned this has been in the book of Ezekiel 63 times. You see, these people were lords of their own lives. They claimed the prophecies of God, yet lived like hell. They were their own lords. They, they determined how they were going to see God's word. They made it up their way. I'm going to fall this way. And I get this promise here and that promise there, but I don't believe that. That's too hard, whatever it might be. They're the Lord of their own lives. And God says now in judgment, then they will know that I am the Lord. You see, there's one self-existent God. And he's a good God and a gracious God. And he declares to all men everywhere that they must repent. Because he's fixed a day in which he will judge men through the man he rose from the dead, having furnished proof. Then they will know he is the Lord. You see, brothers and sisters and friends, there are only two ways that mankind knows that he is the Lord. The first way is through repentance and faith. When you repent and believe in Jesus, you know that he is the Lord. And it's in the context of salvation. Yes, he is the Lord. And I'm forgiven. And I have eternal life with him. And he loves me and he cares for me. He's so good to me. Or you will know he's the Lord when he has to judge you. And that's what we're seeing here. You see, someday we will all know that he is the Lord. Philippians chapter 2, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? What about Matthew chapter 7? Matthew 7, let's turn there. Matthew 7. You see, because there's people, and this is speaking to churchy people, okay, that hear the word, but don't do it. They hear it, but they don't do it. Matthew 7:15. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. Matthew 7:16 now. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so every good tree bears good fruit, but every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. You'll know the false teachers by their converts, the fruit of their converts, right? But notice what he says here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Yet, But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven... Many will say to me on that day, that's the day of the Lord when he's judging, the judgment day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, cast out demons in your name, perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And then he gives an illustration, and maybe we'll read it later if we have time. We read the Luke version of it that those who hear the word and obey it because they have a changed heart are like those who built their house on the rock. And all the winds came, the storm came, and it didn't fall because it was built on the rock. And those who hear the word but don't obey it because they're still in sin, they're like the one who built the house. House is built up. They think they're good. And then great is its fall when the wind and waves come. So you think you're following Jesus. Do you do what he says? Now, we can't do it perfectly. Does your heart desire it? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Lord, I don't want to do this. I messed up. I want to do the right thing. Help me, Jesus. So you think you're following Jesus. Do you do what he says? That's an indicator of a changed life. If you say you love Jesus, you're on your way to heaven, and you continually hate your brother, whatever it might be, you don't forgive, continually, habitually. We all can fall into that sin as believers, but this is your life. Question where you're at. Don't be self-deceived. So then, Ezekiel is to predict the judgment of those in the land who are self-deceived. But notice he finishes up here. The Lord reveals there's another group. There's another group. Verse 30. This group is those who fancy biblical truth. They love sermons. They love a biblical church where God's word is preached. They don't like the seeker-sensitive. They don't like the reformed junk. They like a biblical church. 
But as for you, son of man, verse 30, you fellow citizens who talk about you by the walls and the doorways of the houses, speak to one another, each to his brother, saying, Come now and hear the message which comes forth from the Lord. And they come to you as people come to you, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For they do the lustful desires expressed by their mouth, and their heart goes after their gain. It's their way of gaining, by the way. And behold, you are like you are to them like a sensual song by one who has a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they don't practice them. So when it comes to pass, as surely it will, then they will know that a prophet has been in their midst. So Ezekiel now is the talk of the town. Everything that he had said had come true. The, the exiles had come back. Everything Ezekiel had prophesying for, for years. And these people, they like it. They like the truth because he is preaching the truth. This is not you know, some guy putting on a show at a church. This is God's man, Ezekiel, giving forth the word of God. But as for you, son of man, your fellow citizens, verse 30, talk about you by the walls and the doorways. Wow, Ezekiel's awesome. What a preacher Ezekiel is. And they speak to one another and his brother saying, come now and hear the message which comes forth from the Lord. Ezekiel gives God's word. Let's listen. Come, let's go listen to Ezekiel. Listen to that message. But what do they do when they come? And they come to you, 31, as people come. They sit before you as my people. They identify with the Lord. They come to a good church to hear the word of God. They come to hear Ezekiel, to hear it. And they identify. And they hear your words. But it says here, but they do not do them. They're simply hearers. And not doers. They don't obey God's word. And the odd and crazy thing about it is they love it. It's like a sensual song. It's like a performer on an instrument. Ezekiel's so amazing. That preaching of God's word is so wonderful. That they don't do it. Something's really messed up. Something's really messed up. In James chapter 1... He says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, that's the key, receive the word implanted. You've got to admit sin. You've got to admit you're a sinner and you've got to come in humility. He says, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the weird, not word, not weird, but the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. Now, given there are those who don't know Christ out wherever in that but then they come to a biblical church, they hear the word of God, and they love it. It's like a concert. But they don't do it. Ezekiel was like a performer in their eyes. Now, unfortunately, we've seen this very clearly. And if you're an elder, you're going to be an elder, you need to understand this, because there are those who will love the word of God, and they will speak up about other preachers and this and that. But they don't do what God says. They don't forgive. They don't love, they slander, they do other things. We've met many here that have been amazed. And I'll tell you right now, in hindsight, being here, what, 18 years, there's been many down the road where they loved my preaching. Oh, you're such a good preacher. Oh, la, 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 blah, 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 blah. And those people who most vocally praised the preaching were the ones who became and turned out to be the most evil. When their sin was exposed... They turned very quickly. But oh, they loved it before that happened. Ezekiel was a performer in their eyes. And behold, 32, behold, you are like, you tell them, like a sensual song by one who has a beautiful voice who plays well on an instrument. But they hear your words, but they don't practice them. Because they're not redeemed, they're still in their sin. They're still in their sin. They need Jesus. They're self-deceived. And I pray there's no one here who's self-deceived, who loves to hear preaching, gets, walks out wonderful preaching, and doesn't do what God said through his word. Not what I said, but what God says. It's very wicked, and I've seen it. It's very dangerous to come in here and walk out of here without a changed heart. 
here in the Word of God. It's very dangerous to love biblical preaching and not be changed by it. So what does God say? So, 33, when it comes to pass, as surely it will. Now what's he talking about? He's talking about the preaching that Ezekiel is sharing. The word of God that God breaks forth through Ezekiel is going to come to pass. Just like the word of God, God brings through faithful teachers and preachers. It's going to come to pass. And it's going to come to pass in relationship to you. And when that happens, then you will know, after having disobeyed and rejected it and played the game, then you will know that a prophet has been in their midst, he says. And surely it will. Then they will know that a prophet has been in their midst. That one who spoke for God was in their midst. Ezekiel's message was confronting sin, revealing judgment, beckoning repentance to those who thought they were saved and those who weren't. If you hear that, you love it, you walk out, but you don't repent, you don't recognize your sin and that God has a right to judge, someday that will come upon you and you will recognize that when I heard that, that was true and I rejected it. You'll know that God was speaking through his word. Then they will know a prophet has been, one who speaks for God has been among in their midst. The game's over. It's too late. I believe it's an allusion to judgment that will come upon those who reject the word of God, playing around with church, playing around with the, with the messages. If you come here every week and you hear the message about trusting, depending on Christ, not relying on yourself, and you go out and rely on yourself all week long, and you come here every week, be warned. I don't know the heart. We all can sin. We all can get caught up in sin. If you're a true believer, God will discipline you that you would repent and be right with him. And what a wonderful thing that is. Serious stuff. Don't play around with God's word. I want to tell you, ask you right now, is my preaching something that tantalizes your flesh? That you listen to? Wow, that's wonderful. That was a great sermon. Well, that's not the point. The point is, did you hear God's word and did it convict your heart? Did it cause you to see your sin and want to trust and follow him? So you think you're following Jesus. Do you do what he says? I mentioned this earlier. If you're a new believer, you're going to start to see God's word. It's going to start pointing out areas in your life. And if you're really saved, you're going to go, yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, no, that's wrong. Lord, I'm sorry. Do you do what he says? For those of us who claim the name of Christ, for those of us who are in Christ, do you do what he says? Do you love his people or do you love yourself? Do you forgive? Are you kind, tender-hearted? Are things harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted? Are you changed? Are you living in anger and sin? The problem is, if you don't have a changed heart, you don't have the ability to do what he says. That's why you can't do it. And the Lord God beckons to you to confess and be forgiven before it's too late. He loves you so much. And these Israelites, it sounds pretty harsh, just judging upon them, but they had been warned year after year after year after year after year after year after year. Generation after generation after generation after generation. And God is doing that for you too. He loves you. He loves you. So Scripture reveals that if we're following him, by and large, we're going to obey him from a changed heart, not from a hypocritical heart, a changed heart. So are you following Jesus? What is your house built on? Is it built on the rock or on the sand? The way we know is how you respond to the word of God. Do you hear it and by a changed heart do it? Or do you hear it and because you're still in sin you forget what you, who you truly are and you walk away from it every time? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much that you share the difficult truths to us who need to hear them so that we would not be self-deceived. You love us. Your wounds are faithful. And the enemies are deceitful. Lord, I thank you that you wound our hearts, that you address our pride, that you call us to see our sin. 
because you love us. Love us so much you gave your son and he paid the full penalty for all these sins that you judged and will need to judge. Everyone could have been forgiven. Lord, I pray there's not one person here today who is fooling themselves. I pray they would examine themselves to see if they're in the faith, if they're living a life that is not in line with with, uh, your truth. And Lord, for those of us who do know you and are trying to follow you by your grace and mercy, Lord, help us to see ourselves rightly in our everyday interactions. Help us to confess quickly when we step into things that are not of you. When our heart attitude or issues, whatever it might be. And so, Lord, I thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your kindness for us that was poured out in Christ. Praise in his name.